You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. We love going through the books of the Bible, and it starts off by telling us, as most letters do, who the author is, and that's why the video, Apostle Paul. The reality is that presidents and politicians, they come and they go, uh, but a man like Paul, we've been talking about this guy for the last 2,000 years. He's a man who's responsible for the majority of the New Testament, who wrote perhaps 13 books in the New Testament, and uh, no one is sure who wrote Hebrews. Some would argue that perhaps he did it, pushing the number to 14 books. And even Acts, Acts, this other book in the Bible, Acts chapter 13 through 28, pretty much just focuses on his missionary journeys. So even though he didn't write Acts, a large part of it is about Paul. He contributes the second most content just by the number of verses in the New Testament after a name of a man named Luke. Well, Luke was his doctor too. <laughs> Good friend and traveling companion. And so the majority of the New Testament connected, is connected directly to this man, Paul. Paul would preach and he would teach and he was often alone and he was, he was beaten repeatedly, left for dead, shipwrecked and adrift on the open sea. And he says, quote, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. Meaning if you saw him, if you saw Apostle Paul, you, you would see a man covered in scars from the beatings he endured for his Lord, Jesus Christ. And some of his letters, likely including Ephesians, the one that we're starting today, were written while he was in prison, while he was in jail. I mean, this man wouldn't even waste his prison time. <laughs> he would invest it for the kingdom of God without complaining. There's so much to learn in that alone. He's an amazing man. And he's, uh, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and you saw his past, quite a past, I would say. And, and Ephesus is a city, and you can read about it in Acts 19, this book, Acts 19, and it was a pretty big city, kind of like Chicago or L.A. in our time, right? Not as big as Chicago or L.A., but compared to our cities today. And sometimes when you, when you pick up the Bible, if you're not really aware of the context behind it, right, you, you think of the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, and you think of fishermen and sheep and, and you know, st- uh, and, and farmers. Well, not by the time you get to Paul. He's moving into urban areas. He's traveling through major urban centers as a missionary, planting churches. And that's, that's why I love this book, because our church, Summit Church, is a, is a young church plant. And so Ephesus, at the time of Paul, was a city of about a quarter million, a quarter million people, so a big city. It was uh, on a harbor, and it was the beginning of the equivalent of their highway system, uh, the the Roman roads. It was a a major banking center and with the temple of Artemis. This was, you know, one of the seven great wonders of the world. A place of uh, just paganism and demonism. And this is one of the reasons why the book of Ephesians talks a lot about, you know, spirits and principalities and powers uh, more than any other book in the New Testament. Very interesting. These, these people that lived there were highly spiritual people, but not necessarily God's people. And one last thing before we move on from the, uh, this introduction, uh, talking about Paul. When Paul would pull into a city, sometimes he'd be there for just minutes because they're, you know, they're, they're trying to kill him and he'd be on the run. Uh, and sometimes hours, sometimes days, weeks. In Ephesus, he was there for years. He was there for three years. Three years he stayed in Ephesus. He set up a training center there. And from there, he sent out church planters, and the church grew. How awesome is that? May we be like Paul, more like Paul. Or may we be more like Jesus, because he was a broken man too. What we see as we open the book of Ephesians, and if you have your Bibles with you, I highly encourage you that you would would open um, to uh, chapter 1. And let me just read it. Uh, Would you just... Just stand with me and let me read the passage uh, from verse 1 to 14. So we kind of covered the first two verses. Let's cover 3 to 14, but I'm going to read the whole section. Ephesians 1 from 1 to 14. Beautiful, beautiful book. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, 
and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We can just stop there. It's lots of reason to celebrate, but no, it gets better. It's an explosion. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. What a mouthful. Uh. Father, we thank you for your beautiful, beautiful, and powerful word. We even thank you, Lord God, for, for men like Paul that you used in a special way. Father, would you use us in the same way? Would you help us be faithful, Lord God, faithful to you first, Lord Jesus? Please help us in that. Lord, I ask that this word, this morning, that it would explode in our hearts as well, just like it did, Lord God, in, in the heart of Paul. And may it bring much joy. May this blessing that you speak of, Lord God, in this, in this first 14 chapters, may it explode and bring much joy in our hearts. I pray this, Lord God, for every single heart here this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what we see as we open the book of Ephesians in the opening passage that we have for today, 1 to 14, or 3 to 14, we kind of cover the first two, is that if you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are extremely and infinitely blessed. I'm not sure if you heard that. If you're in Christ, you're extremely and infinitely blessed. I mean, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and there, there were literally dozens of gods and goddesses that were worshipped there. And people would come in from all over, all over the place um, for different holidays or different events uh, around the temple of Artemis, right? One of the seven great wonders of the world, like I said. And this was a highly religious, highly spiritual place. And when Paul first pulled into the city, right, and he preached the gospel... People got rid of all of their witchcraft, or some of it, sorcery, divination, and they burnt the equivalent of 50,000 days' wages of various pagan things. I'll say that again. Equivalent of 50,000 days' wages of various pagan things. That was a, that was a big fire, <laughs> right? And they said, that's it. We're going to worship Jesus. That, you know. And all of those things, and here's my point had this one thing in common. They were an effort to get God or their gods to bless them. And we might fall into the same trap thinking, you know, the same thing as C.S. Lewis, Lewis said once, looking at them with, you know, chronological snobbery. Ah, pfft, they were primitive, right? And in, in, in I quote C.S. Lewis, what primitive people who thought that they needed to manipulate the gods and the goddesses and God to bless them, end quote. But the reality is that we do the same, don't we? <laughs> we do the same thing. Sometimes we'll call it karma, right? Uh, which basically says you get what you deserve. It's very common in our culture. Or we'll call it feng shui. I probably, you know, butcher that. 
But, but it's trying to get all the energy lined up in your home, in your house, you know, so that blessing will come through, you know, the organizing of physical items in your home, right? A lot of people are into that. And the reality is that, and this is one of the, you know, this is true of a lot of the athletes that we kind of look up to, but many people are highly superstitious. And we are also, we are so superstitious. And this is exactly what religion says in general. If I suffer, then God will bless me, right? If I give to God, then God has to give to me, right? If I have my quiet time every morning, God has to bless me. What can I do to make God bless me, right? Here's the good news. God is good, amen? By himself. He doesn't need to be manipulated. God's, you don't have to make God bless you. All, God already blesses people out of his goodness. That's his character. God likes to bless his people. He does. I think chapter 1 in Ephesians is proof of that. <laughs> and now as we enter into Ephesians, this chapter 1, from verse 3 to 14, we are going to unpack, check this out, the, the densest verse in the whole Bible. Did you know that? In the original Greek text that it was written in, this is one extremely long sentence. So all you English majors, just calm down. It's one sentence in the Greek text. And do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? It's an amazing explosion of joy. That's what it is. It's 202 words. One long sentence, one sentence, and the big idea that brings everything together is that we are extremely and infinitely blessed. Man, you chose an awesome day to be in church. I'll be honest with you. So Apostle Paul starts by telling us that we're blessed in Christ. So let's read verse 3. We're going to unpack all of these blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And this is where Paul gets so excited. He gets so excited. He says, let's bless the God that blessed us. Did you get that? Right? Let's bless the God who's already blessed us so much and he's, he's, he's still doing, you know, he's still doing it. The God who's given us himself, the God who sacrificed his son to pay, you know, for the penalty of our sin to save us and to give us life through him. Let's give now ourselves to him because he blessed us so much. And this right there is an explosion of joy that he begins with in this beautiful, beautiful book. Now, some of you may say, uh, Ovi, I have not seen this blessing of which you speak of, <laughs> of which Ephesians speaks of. Not sure if you looked at my life lately, but it kind of sucks. I, it doesn't look like I'm blessed, right? It's probably because we're looking at the wrong kind of blessing, the wrong category of blessing. But Paul says that the blessing is in the where? Heavenly places. Okay, okay. And the truth is that some of the blessing comes here in this life. Amen to that? Does some of God's blessing come to you, over you, right? Amen, right? Amen. And there's blessing from God in this life, but much of it is stored up in the heavenly places. That's what the Bible says. And it's not because God is withholding it from us, right? But he wants us to enjoy the blessings he has for us forever. That's our focus. We live for that. We live for eternity with him. So for the believer, and let me, allow me to say this, you've probably heard a variation of this. For the believer, this is, this life, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. For the unbeliever, this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. So for the believer, your blessing awaits you forever. And for the unbeliever, there's no blessing awaiting you forever. And you may say that your health is not great, and you may say that you, know, you can barely make your mortgage payments, and your car breaks down in the middle of the street on a daily basis, right? And so you'd love some, some of that blessing, right? You'd love a new car and some money so you can pay your mortgage, and, 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 and God sometimes does that too. He blesses us with health. He heals us. He gives us money. He does some of that too, amen? But the truth is, church, check this out. That if you're in Christ, that right there is the bigger blessing. Now, I, I, I got to say that again. 
The truth is that if you're in Christ, that right there is the bigger blessing. That's actually the blessing of all blessings. And that's the whole point of this text. In addition, this is written by Paul where? We think in prison, right? To be honest with you, not sure how many of us would write a letter from prison, starting off very excited about all the blessing that God has for us. Would you? Would I? I don't know. Day one in prison. Sucks. Day two. Well, guess what? Nothing's changed. Sucks. Day three. Guess what happened? It still sucks, right? Now, now, the truth is that's how we tend to see our life here on earth, though, right? We focus on what we don't have. I mean, how many of us in prison would get excited and say, I want us to bless the God who's blessed us so much because our true blessing is Christ, is Jesus. Now, what's happening is the church is hearing this, right? The, the, the letter is being read by one of their pastors, a letter from their lead pastor, Paul, from jail, right? And I'm sure the people sitting in the congregation, they're like on the edge of their seats. And like you and me, some are sick, some are poor, some are suffering, some are unemployed, some have relational problems, you know, some of their life is falling apart. And they're wondering, does God really love me? I don't see any blessing in my life. What's going on? And when they get the letter from their lead pastor, Paul, in prison, who's really excited about all of God's amazing blessing, they're like, oh, maybe he's having it a lot worse than we do, and we're complaining, and he's not. What's going on here? Maybe he's onto something. And this is what Paul starts to do. He starts to record all the amazing blessings that comes down from God that we have in Christ. And that's how we get the letter to the Ephesians from a man in prison so excited about God's blessing on his life that he doesn't even have time for punctuation. <laughs> That's how excited he is. Are you? Am I? Not about your health. Sure, we need that. We pray for that. Not about paying more, and we need that, and we just go to, and God bless us like that too, but the blessing, the bigger blessing that we have in Christ, are we, are you excited about this blessing he speaks of? So we are blessed in Christ, and Apostle Paul, is, what he's going to do is he's going to unpack various blessings that come to us in Christ, very specifically, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to go through some of these blessings that he lists. And the first one that he mentions, because I want us to be specific, the first one that he mentions is the blessing of holiness. The blessing of holiness, verse 4. Even, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, there we go, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You know, church, ultimately the world may not understand you as a Christian, we're kind of getting a, a taste of that in the last couple of years, aren't we, even in our country? Your unbelieving family, they don't understand you. Your, your, your friends, unbelieving friends or coworkers or neighbors, they may not praise you and say, wow, the way you love your wife who's unfaithful to you is just amazing. Wow. No, 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 no. They may criticize you because they think that you should leave her, Right? They may not see you as living a holy life set apart for God. They may not set apart. But, but the reality is that we live for the audience of one. And that's God. Sure, the Bible says that we need to take counsel from godly people in a lot of them. But at the end of the day, we should be holy and blameless before God and God alone. Amen. And here's what we need to be reminded. That Jesus is holy and he lived a sinless life so God becomes a man lives without any sin and is infinitely holy but we on the other hand we're unholy unholy and Jesus goes to the cross and he dies in our place for our sin and he trades places with us trades places with us so that we get our we get he gets our condemnation and we get salvation he takes upon himself all of our unholiness and he places upon us, his holiness. That is huge. Now, here's what this means, or part of it. You don't need to be perfect. Christ is your perfection. Now, go, don't go to the bathroom just yet. Let me finish the point. 
You don't need to live a perfect life. Christ already has in your place. And you are now, we are now in Christ. If you're a Christian, positionally holy. Positionally holy because that's what Christ did to us. God sees you in the place of Christ. And out of your positional holiness, you can now live day-to-day holiness, practical holiness. Does that make sense? Because you are holy now in Christ, you can live holy. If you were not holy in Christ, if you, you wouldn't be able to live this life, I guarantee you, right? Because Christ has made you holy, you can live holy like Christ. And I'm not saying that we're going we're gonna to be perfect, right? We'll never, that we'll never sin in this life. And I'm not saying that this is something that we ultimately perfect in this life. No, no, no. But it's something we can make progress in this life. Amen? Christ is your holiness, and he makes you holy. And here's how this changes everything, church. Here's how this changes everything. If your identity is in Christ, and therefore Jesus makes you holy, that changes your life. That ought to change your life and your activity and the way you think and the way you talk to your wife and the way you make decisions. That is inevitable. So let's say you're a teenager. Let's just say that. And if your, your identity is, I'm a teenager, and that's about it, you're probably going to rebel against your parents because that's what teenagers do, right? But if you're a teenager in Christ, Christ has made you holy. You should be one who is compelled by the love of God to act in a way that is holy. Very, very different. In the same way, if you're someone who's single, and if your identity is, I'm single and that's about it, you're probably going to do some things you shouldn't do. You'll allow yourself some latitude behaviorally, right? But if you say, no, I'm a single in Christ, and Christ was single, and I'm single, and he's made me positionally holy, and I want to live in a way that is practically holy on a day-to-day basis, understanding our identity, church will change how we think, will change how we make decisions, will change how we repent, will change how we speak, will change every little thing about our life. It will. And maybe this is where we go wrong because we have forgotten that we're holy, that we're in Christ first, and then we're a father, then I'm a parent, then I'm a friend. No, no, you're in Christ first. Hold on to that identity. Does it make sense? Yeah. This happens so often, and you hear even Christians talk like this, and my identity is being a, you know, a student, is being single, or midlife crisis, that's about it, or divorced, or married, or whatever. First and foremost, your primary identity is in Christ, and the, this is the identity that will carry us through every season in life. And because Christ made us holy, those who are in Christ want to live holy lives out of love for Him. Amen? Let me ask you this. What change has Jesus made in your life? What things did you enjoy that now you're ashamed of? What sinful activities did you live for and now you mourn over? Right? In Christ, we're holy. In Christ, we're holy. So live more like you are. Amen? Apostle Paul goes on to say, and this is going to be fun. Allow me to just have a smile on my face. Well, I'm having a smile on my face because this message is just, just full of blessing. Come on, come on. We, we ought to go home and just celebrate, just celebrate. Actually, let's just take the rest of our lives and celebrate this. Can we do that? <laughs> so it's fun because there's a lot of debate around this, the blessing of predestination. So the blessing of holiness, and now he's going to talk about the blessing of predestination. Yes, I said the P word. I did, I did. Verses 4 and 5, let me just read it to us. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love, not in hate. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I remember as a kid, I used to play soccer a lot. Uh, And whenever we used to pick teams to play soccer, what we would do is just a bunch of us kids would just, you know, get in a circle, right? And we would first pick two captains, usually the the best uh, soccer players. And then, in turn, they would pick the team. You know, they would kind of go back and forth, and they would pick the team. and, And this was visible to everyone. It was loud. It was in front of everyone. Well, guess what? If you were fat or geeky, 
you were not going to be picked. <laughs> and that just sucked. <laughs> it really did. It, it, would, it would suck being fat because it would definitely not build up your self-esteem to be, to be picked last or not be picked at all. Hey, guys, I'm here too. Like, no, you're not, you know. It was, it was really horrible. So in the same way, the blessing of predestination can make God sound kind of capricious, kind of mean, kind of cruel, kind of like the soccer captains picking their teams. But that's not at all the case. It's not. Apostle Paul says here, it says, he predestined us in what? In what? In love. In love. So whatever you do, connect predestination and love. And don't let it go into a wrong view of a capricious God who's unloving, cold-hearted, mean, cruel. In love, he predestined us. And let me tell you, God knows how to love perfectly. He does. He's outside of time and space, and he sees everything. And so this blessing of predestination says that before we did anything good or evil, before the foundation of the world, before a star got hung in the sky, God chose us to be his. That's it. That's predestination. What that means is that you chose hell and God chose heaven. That we chose damnation, but God chose salvation. And the beautiful truth is that God chooses us first. He does. Just like he loved us first. And then and then, please listen, and then we choose God second, okay? Meaning God puts the Holy Spirit in us, and then the Holy Spirit gives us faith to cry out to God, love, uh, uh, God, save us. I cry for you. I want to be yours. We choose God second, right? Rather than debating this, and I want to say this from the bottom of my heart, how about we celebrate this? <laughs> His love. And I want to challenge you to look back on your own life. Just look back on your own life. And if you're not saved and if you're here just kind of for the first time, that's fine. That's fine. Just hang in there. Right. On top of what we see in Scripture, when I hear people's testimonies on how Jesus saved them, it all, always sounds like God's the one who did the work, the choosing, right? If they tell the story right. And, and it may seem to you, so if this is a season for you where you're just kind of seeking God and kind of testing the waters, you're opening yourself up to God and you're like reading a lot and asking a lot of questions, that's awesome because there's this thing called being responsible, right? So if you're in a season like that, it may seem to you like you're doing all the work, doesn't it? But the reality is that God does the pursuing all along. Your eyes may be open to that a little bit later when you're saved. So I wanted to share a couple of testimonies from different people that I picked up from the internet that point to this beautiful blessing of predestination, right? And I picked some very specific ones because we're talking about the book of Ephesians. There's a lot of supernatural. There's a lot of spirits. In, in, in. So let me just share, share a couple of them with you. One guy says, I grew up in a Sikh home and I was Sikh. When I was 14, I was in, in bed and I saw five demons running around my bed. So I prayed and nothing happened. Then I called out to Buddha and nothing happened. Then I tried Allah and nothing happened. Then I heard a still calm voice in the back of my head whisper, Jesus Christ. And I said out loud, Jesus, save me. And the demons were instantly gone. Being chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined in love? I think so. I mean, he's running through all of his options. Allah, are you there? Nothing. Muhammad, no. Okay, Jesus, he answered. How about this one? David. David said, my wife and I were having scary, crazy stuff happening at our house through dabbling in the occult. One night, a book flew off of my shelf and landed in front of my wife late during at night. Just picture this. In the morning, she tells me what happens and says, it opened to this page. Arm yourselves with the armor of God. It was the book of Ephesians. That's why I picked this, this story. If you're in the old cult and demons are running around your house and the Bible flies off the shelf and right in your lap, right, to, to the book of Ephesians, you are predestined in love, let me tell you. But, but let me just say this now. Let me just, because you'll say, well, well, that's not my testimony. I didn't have a supernatural testimony. I didn't see demons. That's fine. You're probably in the majority of the category. So maybe you didn't have some crazy natural experience with your testimony, supernatural. And most people do not. 
Most people do not. But that doesn't mean that the most amazing thing didn't happen to you, which is brought from death to life. Yes? God chooses that. God makes that call. He's the one that makes... So you, if you're probably dabbling in the occult and witchcraft, God is probably going to use some supernatural way to get you out because that's where you're in, right? You get what I'm saying? But He knows best. But what I want to challenge you to look back at your own story and just kind of like think back. Did you do the choosing first? Did you say, God, come on, come on, save me, come on, come on. You know, and God like, oh, okay, sure. My story is probably very boring to you, but it's not to me. It is not to me. So my story is that I was born in a Christian home and I went to church Sunday after Sunday, right? But I, I was not saved. I wasn't saved. I had a rebellious season of a few years in my teenage years. I did. The way I like to describe it is I was a hybrid between the prodigal son, if you remember the story of prodigal son, and his religious brother for quite a few years, just back and forth, back and forth, back to church, back in the world, back at, right? But I remember this from the earliest memory I have. I can recall God pursuing me, especially in my rebellion. I can recall God allowing certain events in my life to unfold so that he could draw me close to him. And sometimes he used a lot of pain to get me close to him. And that draw was so powerful that I felt I couldn't say no. That was my story, seriously. But I could see God back doing all the pursuing. And in the moment, I, I, at, at times I felt that I was doing all the searching. I was doing all the asking. I was doing, and then when my eyes were open, like, Lord, you, you've been so gracious to me. Now, let me just say this, being chosen from before the foundation of the world, because that's the doctrine of predestination, is a wonderful, wonderful doctrine. <laughs> what this means is it doesn't matter how bad you are, God could save you, right? It doesn't matter where you live, God could save you. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what you've failed to do, God could save you. It doesn't matter how re rebellious you are or how ridiculous you are, God could save you, pick you, bless you in Christ. Amen? That's good news. Our responsibility as Christians is that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every single person because that's the heart of God. He doesn't want anyone to perish, Peter says. No one. He wants everyone to be saved. That's the heart of God. And when we share the gospel, friends, and we, when we also share our testimony with one another, we should make sure that we're telling the story in such a way that we're not the hero of the story. He is. That we're not the savior of our souls. He is. Amen? Let's go on. Let's move on. He goes on to say that we have the blessing of adoption. Verse 5, I read it, but let me read it again. In love, he predestined us, right, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What Apostle Paul is saying here is that God has adopted us, and the language here is very, very important, really important. 40% of kids are going to go to sleep tonight without a father. Did you know that the majority of children born to women ages 30 and under are born out of wedlock? So many children without a father. This whole concept of God being our father is incredibly important. About 14 times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as our father. But it's always nationally. It's, it's not personally. It's, not, it's, never, it's never individually and so everything changes when Jesus comes along and, and Jesus starts teaching us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. What? This is intimate language. This is personal. This is affectionate language for a relationship with God. And this is the truth, that God is your Father and my Father. How mind-blowing is that? That's how Jesus tells us to pray. And more than 60 times in the, in the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as Father and teaches us to refer to God as Father. So this language is incredibly personal, and it changes the way we pray, or it should change the way we pray. That's why Jesus often teaches us that God is our Father in the context of prayer. And if you know who your Father is, friend, if you know who your Father is, you would want to talk to him more. You would want to pray to him more. 
If you, if you really believe and take this blessing of adoption, if you know how much he loves you, you would want to pray to him more. If you would know how gracious God, this father of ours, is, is to us, towards us, you would want to be with him more, wouldn't you? Because you know his heart. So Apostle Paul talks about this great blessing of being adopted. Have you ever seen a child get adopted? We have families in our church, praise God, that have adopted children. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, doesn't something just ring true in your soul like that's just beautiful, right? That child didn't have a family, and now they have a family. That child was not loved, but now they're loved, and they have a father. That's beautiful, amen? That's why Christians have always had a heart for adoption. That's why. In the early church, oftentimes, children were thrown in the garbage, in the trash. Nothing has changed, <laughs> right? And the boys would be picked up, and, and they would become slaves or gladiators, and the girls would be picked up, and they would become servants or prostitutes, right? And Christians would go and pick up these abandoned children and would adopt them because it's a picture of the gospel of Jesus. Amen. And all... Listen, all who are in Christ are adopted in Christ. And when we adopt and we love children that are not our biological children, and, and we treat them with the same affection, the same love, the same inheritance, the same blessing, we're showing something of the heart of the Father in the truth of the gospel by welcoming them into our own families. How powerful and amazing is that? Let me just say this. If I can get us, if I can get my heart to really understand this, and I really pray that God really is really going to land this in our hearts. Let me just say this. You're adopted. You're adopted in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're adopted. You have a father named God who loves you so, so much. You have a father named God who hears you and listens to you. You have a father named God who blesses you, and I want you to relate to him in that way. Amen? Paul then continues to talk about the blessing of redemption. I know you may feel some fatigued, some blessing fatigued, right? But we're, we're, we're getting to a close here. The blessing of redemption. And again, when he talks about blessing, it's just one thing after another. It just keeps, keeps exploding, doesn't it? It's like, I can't, I can't take this anymore. It's almost like a great fireworks display, right? It just gets bigger and more glorious. And here he adds the blessing of redemption. Verse 7, we'll skip verse 6. We don't have the time, but let's just go to verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. That's another big one. Now in our culture, we use the language of addiction, don't we? And the Bible uses the, the language of slavery. That something has mastered us or enslaved us and something is harming us and destroying us. And, and we need redemption. We need, we need to be free, delivered, released, right? And here's the big idea. And it's not entirely it's not a complete idea but it's part of what redemption means when he says that we have redemption through his blood that means that our faith is to be in the blood of the lamb of god jesus christ who takes away the sins of the world and if we are in christ we have and we have trusted in christ's death in our place for our sins the wrath of god passes over us and we are redeemed from our addictions. We are redeemed from our slaveries to worship him and freedom with a new life. That's what it means. Or at least one idea. That's huge. I, I kind of touched on this last week. Remember, the power of sin is broken in our life, but we have to believe it. Kind of the same idea with redemption. You're redeemed from that thing that enslaved you for so long. So what this means is how we interact with our sin is very different now. Very different. Where before you loved it, and that's all that you could think of, right? It means that we no longer have to accept being enslaved or addicted to sin in our life. Because Jesus has redeemed us. We can walk with him away from our slavery. I don't know what it is that enslaves you. For some, it's food. For some, it's sex. For some, it's money, fame, power, glory, control possessions, comfort, whatever it is. I don't know what the thing is, but whatever has mastered you and us, whatever rules over us, Jesus has come to free us. And by the grace of God, he can walk with him into this brand new life, and that's the blessing of redemption. How amazing is that? Amen. 
Then he proceeds to the blessing of forgiveness. We're still in verse 7. Are you still doing okay? Okay, that's good. In him we have redemption through his blood, and then, and then this, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This is huge again. Let me ask you this. What haunts you? What do you regret? Looking back at your life, if I said one thing you could do over, what, what, what would it be? Most of us would know immediately, right? Because we feel the shame, we feel the condemnation. Maybe we're still living in light of the implications of that sin that we've, you know, we've done years ago or months ago. If a biography was written of your entire life and it was told truthfully, you couldn't read it, could you? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do mine either. I couldn't. Here's the point, and here's what Apostle Paul is trying to say. Church, we need to be forgiven and that's every single one of us. We need to be forgiven. And he says that in Christ, we're forgiven for all of our trespasses and for all of our sins. When God draws the line and we step over it, that's sin. When God says no and we say no, yes, that's a sin, right? And then we regret being so foolish and rebellious, don't we? Like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up again. And here's what happens when we do sin. You have to make a choice, <laughs> You have to decide what you want to do with that, right? Now, let me give us a few options really quickly of what we sometimes or the world does when they do sin. You can deny it. Uh, I, I, I didn't do anything. What? No. You can blame somebody else for it. That's their fault. It's their fault. Oh, come on. You can excuse it. Well, there's some justifying circumstances. There's some extenuating circumstances here. Let me just tell you. You can diminish it. Well, I, that's not a big deal. What, what, what everyone's doing it. What, what are you talking about? You can hide it. I hope no one's going to find me out. You can punish yourself. A lot of us do. I need to suffer to pay God back. Or we could just surrender our pride, get on our knees before God, and confess our sin to Him and ask for forgiveness. And in Christ, we're forgiven. How about that? How about that last option? <laughs> Amen. One, one, one of Jesus' final words on the cross is, Father, forgive them. Now listen to what God has to say to us today from our passage in Ephesians. If you are in Christ, my friend, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. How awesome is that? We're, we're, you're forgiven. We're forgiven for everything we've done in our past. And did you know that you're forgiven for anything that you'll, you're, you'll, you'll, ever, you'll ever do from now on in your future? You are taken care of. You're forgiven. I want us to feel that and to celebrate that. I want the Holy Spirit to enable us and empower us to feel that. Because that's one of the greatest feelings in the whole wide world. When he takes that load off of our shoulders. Sometimes we carry such loads of shame and condemnation and guilt. And we're never meant to carry those. Because eventually they'll just crush us. What we're supposed to do is to bring them at the foot of the cross in prayer. And having full confidence, like I read earlier in Hebrews this morning, having full confidence that Jesus already carried our sins at the cross. And based on that truth, we ask for forgiveness. And based on God's unfailing promise, God will forgive us. How awesome is that? Did you know that there's an assurance of forgiveness? There's an assurance of salvation, but there's an assurance of forgiveness in Christ as well. When Jesus died on a cross, he paid the full debt for our sin. And when he says that you're forgiven, we're forgiven, we are forgiven, let me tell you that. And when we do that in faith, God will take the load of condemnation and guilt and shame off of our shoulders, away from us. And also we do this because this is a relationship, right? This is a relationship. Then Paul goes on to talk about the blessing of grace and in some ways... This would be an explanation of all the blessings and their source. I'm going to go really quickly now. Verse 7 uh, to 10. Starting in verse 7 where we left off, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. 
think sometimes in Christianity, we, we become so familiar with words that we, we cease to be astounded by them. Like, for instance, grace. That's huge. Undeserved merit. God isn't asking us to give to him. He's not. He's asking us to receive him, and he gives himself to us as a gift. He offers us the blessing of choosing us before the foundations of the world, and then adopting us into his family, and then he gives us the blessing of forgiveness, redemption, and then he takes up residence and life in us through the person of the Holy Spirit, and he gives us the blessing of holiness, and he starts changing us. There's this empowering grace that enable us, enables us to live a new life in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. And what this means is that the way we treat one another now has to be sourced, has to be summed up in grace, in grace. And all of this is done because of the blessing of grace. Everything you have is because of grace. You don't deserve it, but he gives it because he's gracious. Let me ask you this. Where are the evidences of grace in your life? How has God been gracious to you? We're getting ready to close. We have one last blessing and then the ending. It's quite a sentence, isn't it? 202 words. It's quite an explosion of blessing and then an explosion of joy, isn't it? So the next blessing the Apostle Paul mentions, the last one that I want to mention that we receive from God is the blessing of being sealed. Blessing of being sealed, verses 11 to 14. Let me just quickly read them to us. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the, to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's beautiful. Now, in that day, if you had a possession, you'd put your seal on it, right? Uh, some still do it today. Uh, they'll put their name on something, and, and they'll just tag something as identified as their possession. Now, in that day, you would put your seal on something, and that was to say, that is mine, don't touch it, right? If you're a Christian... You belong to God, and you are his possession. Don't touch it, devil. Kind of like that, right? Your life is not your own now. It is not your life anymore. You've been bought with a price. You belong to the Lord. He, and he has put, your, put his seal upon you as his possession. And that seal is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Here's what I want, you, I want us to be reminded of this morning about the Christian life. It's not the life that you live for God. It's not really about that. It's the life of God lived through us. Huge difference. And that makes all the difference in the world. And, and it's Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to reside in us and, and to cause us to become a new person in Christ and to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean there won't be any effort on our behalf, but it's, it's, it's Holy Spirit enabled, right? It's grace-empowered effort. And it's, it's God's life in us. It's God's life through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what Apostle Paul says here is, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. The what now? The guarantee. And he says, until we acquire possession of it. What he's saying here is, is that once we receive the Holy Spirit, and we do, praise God for that, at salvation, we are marked and sealed as God's possession. And he causes us to be born again, with a new nature, new taste buds, new person, new heart, new mind, a new identity to live by a new power, to live for a new Lord. And that's only the beginning, church. That's only the beginning. Because remember, we have an inheritance that awaits us in heaven, and it's going to be amazing, right? We're getting excited about that. And this seal will keep us until the end. That's the point. The seal will keep us until the end. You never have to wonder if God's going to love you tomorrow. It's like, ah, God, I think I changed my mind today. You're, you're pretty bad today. Never mind. <laughs> I won't take it to heaven. No, 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 no. He will keep us to the end. This is what it says. The Holy Spirit keeps us. That's the blessing. Amen? As we're closing, let me ask you this. Why would God 
do all of that. All of the things that Apostle Paul listed, that we talked about. <laughs> I know you know Flo. <laughs> Why would God do that? Like, really? You didn't have to. I mean, this is a lot of blessing. Blessed in Christ with holiness, being chosen before the foundation of the world. Adoption, redemption, forgiveness, grace, and sealed by the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. Really? Why would God do that? Well, Apostle Paul actually tells us three times here in the passage, but I'm only going to mention it once in, in this verse 14. To the praise of his glory. Do, do, do you know why? To the praise of his glory. So that we would devote our entire lives, church, in blessing the God who's blessed us extremely and infinitely. We bless the God who's blessed us. That's the whole point. Let me close with an illustration that I read a while back, but I was reminded of it this, this week again. All theology is cat theology or dog theology. I'll just make it simple for us. Not sure if you heard this. So all theology is cat theology or dog theology. Let's say there's a cat and let's say there's a dog. And they both have the same owner, right? And they have the best owner on the face of the planet Earth, right? They sleep in comfortable beds. They, they eat very good food. They're groomed at the best vet or spa. They, they are petted. They are spoken to. They are well-treated and cared for in every way that you can think of. These are spoiled, spoiled pets. Now, the cat thinks, I must be an amazing and valuable cat. Oh, yeah, bring it on. That's why he's blessing me so much. The cat, the dog thinks, I must have an amazing and valuable master. That's why he's blessing me. Can you see the difference? That's why I love dogs. No, <laughs> we should have the dog theology, right? But, but what, we're, what we have in our world, and oftentimes we practice this too, is a cat theology, right? And so God loves you, and God died for you, and God blesses you, and God has eternity for you, and God has a new nature for you, and God has an eternal home for you. Therefore, look at how amazing I am. Look, everyone. Look how valuable I am. Look how important I am. That's cat theology. No good. The theology that we should have should sound something like this. Look at how amazing God is. Look at what God has done in my and for me. Look at all that God is still promising to me. And to live for the praise of his glorious grace is not to think God does all of this so that people can look at me and say, wow, dude, you're awesome. So, so God does all of this so that I might tell everyone how glorious he is, how wonderful he is, how long-suffering long he is, how, how wonderful he is, how compassionate, merciful, kind, how wonderful my master is. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.